Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Class Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School Class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Jim. Let's get started. Let's get started with our memory verses. If anybody can say John 10, 27 and or 28. These are actually really spectacularly simple, straightforward verses. So even if you wanted to like look up John 10, 27 right now, you could probably pull it off in the next 30 seconds. So. I will delay for just a moment in case anybody wants to do that and jump up real quick because that would be encouragement. So there's that. All right. 10, 27, and or 28. All right, Miss Amy, you got it? My sheep hear my voice. They do. And I know them. Yes. And they follow me. Yes. And they will not perish. And I give give them everlasting life. Yes. And they will not perish. And neither anyone snatched it out of my hand. Isn't that awesome? Yes. It is awesome. Cool. Thank you, Miss Amy. Miss Starley, you got it? But wait, there's more. Now, did anybody see the card that Miss Starla put on Facebook on how she memorizes these verses, right? You break them up into pieces and you say them over and over and over. It's just time, right? It's just time invested in the Word. Don't wait and until Saturday. Yes, Saturday is difficult. Now, Sunday morning is actually pretty easy for verse 27, so I'm still giving anybody a chance to jump up if they want to say verse 27. Going once, going twice. Miss Darley, you're up. <clears throat> my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal yes. life, and they shall never perish. Yes. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. I like the attitude that you said no one with. No one. That's exactly right. <laughs> I kind of wonder if Jesus was like shaking his head and no one when he said these. I don't know. Possibly. You got it? Just saying the one, is it? Yeah, just the one. That's fine. Yeah, just the one? Yeah. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. I'm going to sit down now. You got one. You got one. That's awesome. Cool. We'll do one. Good deal. All right. Anybody else for 1027? You got it? Oh, awesome. Yes. Yes. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Come on up. Anybody else? My sheep hear my voice. They know me. And they know me. Isn't that awesome that we can know him? I love that. That's cool. Anybody else? 1027. Going once. Going twice. All right. Let's jump in. So we're in week 11 of uh, Systematic Theology's Application of Redemption. Um, I have friends all over the country, and they ask me sometimes what we study in Sunday school. And I tell them that we're studying Wayne Grudem's systematic theology and that we regularly have 40 to 50 people show up. And they are utterly amazed because that makes no sense whatsoever. Why would you want to come and listen to somebody talk about a 1,286-page book? And the reality is we're not talking about a 1,286-page book. We're talking about the Bible. Uh, This is our... 
guide to uh, structure as we move through. And we just passed page 800, in case you're keeping up with these things. So another 100 pages down. I'm excited about that. Uh, but if you've got your hand out in front of you, uh, we'll start with that uh, list at the top there, or actually in the middle of the page, uh, the order to the salvific process. So we started off with common grace and then looked at election. This is this choosing, the calling where God calls to us and then we proclaim the gospel going out. Uh, regeneration, the new birth, conversion, turning from sin to Christ. Justification, the legal declaration that we are righteous and that we get Christ's righteousness. Uh, adoption, where we become members of God's family. Sanctification, this lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus Christ. Perseverance, which enables us to become more like Jesus Christ. Uh, and then today... What's today about? Death. Death. That's right. Today's about death. And hopefully, when we finish with today's lesson, you will not walk out here going, oh no, today was about death. Because that is not the attitude that a Christian looks at death with. So we'll, we'll look at a lot of different things. And then uh, the week after that uh, is what? The week after? EAC. It's EAC, right? Next week is Easter at Coolidge. And then we'll come back and we'll do... Uh, union with Christ, which is kind of a, I don't know that I've ever heard it taught individually from glorification and death, so I, I'm interested in seeing uh, all the different details of the components of the argument that Grudem makes there, and then two weeks after Easter Coolidge is glorification, which is kind of the music at the end of all things, so that's my singing ability right there. You heard it all. You like that? Excellent. I'm going to leave that in the podcast. All right, so uh, first question Grudem asked today is, why do Christians die? So I don't know if you've ever wondered about this or not, but he actually makes the point, and I didn't put it in your notes because it didn't really fit. Uh, he makes the point, and I was quite offended the first 15 or 20 times that I read it, uh, that it is not because of condemnation, uh, that it is not a punishment for Christians. And I was offended over and over and over again because... That offends my sense of legalism because I need to be judged when I do something wrong. And if I'm not judged, then that doesn't feel like that I've got a list and he's checking it twice and that's the way things work. And the reality is Romans 8, 1 is true for all things. I am not under condemnation. Uh, now, God uses this to do a lot of different things, and we'll talk about those this morning. But Grudem's point number two in your outline is death is the final outcome of living in a fallen world. We, we live in a broken wreck. So when you look out and you see something that you feel like is beautiful about this world, just remember, this is the one that the flood ruined. And this is the one after thousands and thousands and thousands of years of sin that we get to look at. It did not look like this when God made it. It was substantially better. And when God makes it again one day, it will look substantially better still. The last aspect, here's your first blank. The last aspect of the fallen world to be removed will be death. So 1 Corinthians 15, 26. Who's got it? It's a pretty straightforward verse. Yes? The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Yes, pretty straightforward interpretation there, right? Okay, so the last thing that we're going to put down is death. And if you think about what was the last thing that Christ experienced before they put him in the tomb, it was death, right? So his life was a picture of how he will deal with the entire universe as well. He will beat death. We will be resurrected. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks, and things get better. So number three, uh, God uses the experience of death to complete our sanctification, to complete our sanctification. So we talked about 
this idea that sanctification is becoming like who? Who are we becoming like? We're becoming like Jesus Christ. And if, if we lived forever on this earth, would we ever look like Jesus Christ? Yeah. So what is death for a Christian? That's the good thing. Death is one more step closer to looking like Jesus Christ. And now, now we don't, and that's actually offensive to a lot of people if you say this, but um, it's the reality that we live in. So Philippians 3, 7 through 11. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. Starla, you got it? Excellent. With the pink Bible. Is that pink or purple? It's pink. It's pink. Awesome. Good. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul lays it all out. I want, I want the right now. I want the suffering. I want the death. I want the resurrection, the whole thing. So let me tell you why this is important. Uh, Sean, can you help me for just a sec? Can you be death for me? Okay. So, and Amy's going to be... Resurrection. So can you stand at the, the podium? All right, so here's Paul. This is a timeline of his life. I think everything is timelines with, my, with me. I'm a math guy, right? So, so this is Paul right here. And in the way of resurrection is death. So Paul's saying, I... Because what did he end with? He ended with the resurrection. He didn't end with the death. He ended with the resurrection. I want that, ultimately. And if I have to get... If I have to go through this... To get to that, not a problem. I will identify with the pain that I'm in right now. I will identify with the sufferings. I'll die because Jesus has beaten you because I'm going to be over here with the resurrection. This is much more important than all these intermediate steps. Now, here's the other thing about this. If I have my eyes on, resur on resurrection at the end, which is next week, right? So resurrection... If I've got my eyes on resurrection, is all of this stuff in the way going to bog me down? No, I'm okay with this because that's where I'm going. And I've got faith he is taking me all the way to the end. Because remember, last week we talked about if he starts it, he's going to finish it. Isn't that awesome? Y'all are staring at me like, huh? That's amazing stuff. This is, thank you, Death. I appreciate that. appreciate you. Guys. So we've got... Uh, Number five, then, our obedience. Notice I'm skipping around a little here because there's just a lot in this chapter. Our obedience to God is more important than preserving our own what? Lives, yeah. Our own lives. So let's look at Hebrews 11.35. Now, Hebrews 11 is the what chapter? Anybody know? The faith chapter, right? So we start off, what's Hebrews, the beginning of Hebrews 11, who's it talk about first? Who's it talking about first? She got you wondering now, didn't she? Well, I know this. You know this? Yeah. Who's it start off with? Now faith, is, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, by which we have been a long time. But I, I quoted this every day 
fourth grade year of Ms. Key's class. The whole chapter? And we read the entire thing to begin class. Wow. That's a lot of Hebrews 11. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so who's the first person mentioned? The by faith? Abraham. Abraham. And then who we move to? Noah. Noah. And then who would we move to? More heroes, right? We get hero after hero after hero after hero after hero, and you're building, and you're building, and you're building, and you're just like, I want to shout amen at this chapter, right? And then you get to verse 35. And what's verse 35 say, Josh? It says, Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured. Oh, in the middle of the verse, we transition. It's the worst verse break in the whole Bible right there. Because it's great, it's great, it's great. Somebody who lost a child gets the child back. I mean, I, I cannot imagine. I absolutely cannot imagine. And then others were tortured. tortured. And it does not get better from there. It immediately goes downhill. Keep going. Others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Keep going. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins. And that's not just like a bad style thing. That's They would get the sheepskins and goatskins wet, and they would wrap them around the believers, around their torso, and then they would set them out in the desert, and as those things would dry, they would slowly suffocate. So this is not a, oh, I had... I didn't get to wear Chanel today. This is, no, this is how it would kill me. So keep going. Uh, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these things, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. There was something... Better on the other side of all of that. And all, all, the vast majority of these folks, all they had to do was deny Christianity, and this would have stopped. Because this was some governmental influence saying, you know, we're going to oppress, we're going to oppress, we're going to oppress. But these folks saw that obedience to God was more important than preserving their own lives. I'm going to read you something from Grudem here. The persuasion that we may honor the Lord even in our death and that faithfulness to Him is far more important than preserving our own lives, has given courage and motivation to martyrs throughout the history of the church. When faced with the choice of preserving their own lives and sinning, or giving up their own lives and being faithful, they chose to give up their own lives. Even in times when there is little persecution and little likelihood of martyrdom, it would be good for us to fix this truth in our minds once for all. For if we are willing to give up even our lives for faithfulness to God, we should find it much easier to give up everything else for the sake of Christ as well. Does this make sense? Because if I'm willing to die all this other stuff, I mean, I value my life far above all that stuff, so that's certainly not going to be something I'm worried about. All right, so that's, that's why do Christians die. So point B is how should we think of our own death and the death of others? So our own death. The New Testament encourages us to view our own death with, what do you think the word is? Joy. Didn't see that one coming, did you? <laughs> with joy. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 8. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Yes, sir, Dave. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So if I'm absent from the body, which yes. sounds like I'm not here, right. 
Okay. Then I am present with whom? With the Lord. That's a good trade. Yeah. Let's, let's read that again. Uh, we, we like trade up. We like trade up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Level up, right? Yeah, that's right. We are that was a good youth hip cool joke right there, right? <laughs> awesome, cool. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's a great response. <laughs> <laughs> let's go with that. Uh, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be pre- absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Yeah. So if I'm... If I am improving my status to go from here to be present with Jesus, this is a joyful, fantastic, wonderful event. Psalm 23, 4. Some of you may know this off the top of your head. I don't know. You know this off the top? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Yeah. I can walk through all of this. The shadow, I mean, how close do you have to be to death to walk in the shadow of death? This is really, really close because people don't cast long shadows. We are very, very, and death is personified. Here's a literary technique, personification of uh, this character. And really, this is not just, oh, he was kind of, he was really close to death and God did not leave. So how do we look at the death of Christian friends and relatives? Because we've probably all experienced this at some point, right? We will experience genuine sorrow. It's okay to be sad, right? It's absolutely okay to be sad. But that's mixed with joy that they have gone on to be with the Lord. So let's look at Acts 8.2. I had never noticed this before. This was a, this was a new one for me. So you know, you know the story of Stephen in the book of Acts, right? So Stephen's a, a man of God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he was stoned. And he was put to death. And Stephen was a well-known man uh, at this time. And in Acts 8, 2, what's it say about those that were around him? Tim, you got it? Yeah. Awesome. I thought y'all were in Michigan today. Uh, I'm very excited. Okay. They're back. Somebody was asking about you, so. (laughs) Some devout men buried buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. Yeah, so devout. That's not a word we use a lot, right? So is devout a good word or a, a negative word? Very good. So if the Bible, the Holy Spirit calls you devout, I'm going to say you got your ducks in a row. That's just, you're in pretty good shape at this point, right? So these devout men made loud what? Lamentation. Lamentation. I love how you did not even stop eating your oatmeal. You just keep eating your oatmeal. It's awesome. <laughs> loud lamentation. It, it, it literally, it's the only time this word's used in the New Testament. It literally means to beat on the chest. It is like I am wailing and I am, I'm just, I'm grief struck here. And these are devout men. They are men that are doing what is right in the eyes of God. And the Bible says that they mourned over the loss of their friend. It's okay. It is absolutely okay to sorrow. Uh, John eleven thirty five. Some of you should have memorized this verse since it's the... Jesus wept. Yes, it just, Justin's all over it. <laughs> you do not get something from the prize table for that, but good attempt. Good attempt. Good attempt. So Jesus himself wept. Right? Our Lord gave us an example of what to do at a funeral. And then he gave us an example of what we would love to do at a funeral. <laughs> right? Just, just, let's just change everything and wreck the day. And, you know, that should be great. Yeah, he wept. It's okay. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. <coughs> that is the tiniest Bible it's a, it is a, I know it's a Gideon. It's like two-point font. That's amazing. <laughs> First Thessalonians 4.13. Sorry, I'm making fun of somebody's Bible. That's probably not good, is it? 
probably repent. I, thank you for bringing your Bible. You get 10 points on your Sunday school checklist for bringing your Bible today. Y'all remember those? You get little points for... 1 Thessalonians 4.13, yes, sir. Okay. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have yeah. no hope. Because there's a difference, right? Um, there's a difference when we know that somebody is with Christ. There's a difference, because there's hope. Because I'm not just looking at death. There was something on the other side there's not just resurrection, but there's reunion there as well, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Psalm 116, 15. You got it, Miss Jessica? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. Yeah. That's a, I did, I'll confess, I did not understand this when I was a child. I heard people talk about, oh, that was so precious. Because I went to church with a lot of very old people. And they, when you go to a church with a lot of very old people, they, you have a lot of funerals. And I'd hear this verse read, and I'm like, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. I'm like, but y'all are all crying. I mean, you, I couldn't reconcile, the, but I think I start to get it more now, right? This is, this is precious. In the eyes of whom? The Lord. So God himself looks at this and says, that's precious. So in God's Facebook feed, He's not liking pictures of cats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because we talked about last week the perseverance of the saints. The end of our lives is the demonstration of the commitment of our lives. And when he sees the end of our lives that we were faithful to him, that is precious. So he sees that that end is, I mean, that, that end is representative of a life of faithfulness, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. Stephen, you got it? O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So have you ever played sports with somebody who was a trash talker? Yes. yes. All right. So who's writing this? Paul's writing this. Paul is trash-talking death. <laughs> Literally. Where's your sting? Where's your victory? Bring it. Because he's looking at something beyond death. Sorry, you didn't know you were going to be the example of the entire Sunday school class, right? And I did not have this in my head when I got up this morning, but it just works. So. Uh, yeah, he's taunting death, right? Who taunts death? Jesus and Paul. Jesus and Paul, right? <laughs> and we can, too. Where is your sting? Where is your... There's no victory there. There's no victory in that death. There's victory in my Savior's death. It's a whole different victory there. Uh, and then those last two verses, if you want to circle 2 Samuel 12, 20 and Job 1, 20 through 21, uh, Grudem talks about how important, and I, I don't know that I can wrap my head around this one, so I'm just going to give this as a homework assignment, uh, how important worship is at the time of the death of a saint. Uh, and that's what is happening there. In 2 Samuel 12, that's David worshiping after the death of his son. And in Job 1, 20 and 21, that's Job worshiping after the death of his children. Uh, and I... <laughs> I haven't lived that. I haven't gotten that grace. I don't... I can't say that I understand that. But that's some... If you want something to meditate on this week, that'd be something to meditate on. All right, so that's our own death and the death of Christian friends and relatives. And then number three, the death of unbelievers. So when unbelievers die, the sorrow we feel is not mingled with the joy of assurance that they have gone on to be with the Lord forever. 
And Grudem spends a little bit of time here making sure that we understand that we cannot know for certain that someone did not repent and place their faith in Christ at the very last moments of their life. That is always a possibility. Um, Gary likes to say he wouldn't have believed it if it wasn't in the Bible, but the, the thief on the cross, right? The thief on the cross was told by Jesus, today you will be with me in paradise. And you don't end up crucified on a Roman cross unless you have done something to offend somebody pretty important. So likely, very likely, this person lived a life antagonistic toward God. Likely. I didn't say certain, because Jesus was on the cross, and he certainly didn't live a life antagonistic toward God. But very likely. But the sorrow we feel is not mingled with joy of assurance. So we should be very careful about what we say at the funeral or around the death of someone who we do not believe is a believer. Um, I think 2 Samuel 1, flip over to 2 Samuel 1, 19 through 25. I'm going to show you this real quick. Uh, King David actually, you know, he's a poet. He's a warrior king and a, a poet and just a lot of different things. He, he's a very interesting life. Um, he's probably the first Renaissance man in the Bible, I don't know, but he's interested in a lot of different things. And he had some last words to say over Saul and Jonathan. So if you remember King Saul's life, so a lot of debate about this in theological circles, a lot of debate about this. Um, I personally do not believe that Saul was a believer. Um, I think he just did a lot of stuff that was very indicative of somebody who is not following hard after God. Uh, but David, knowing all of these things, knowing far more than what is actually even documented in Scripture, has some words about King Saul's life that are quite positive. But he only focuses on the positive actions that he saw. He didn't try to whitewash and say, this person is in heaven uh, with God at this time. So have you ever been to a funeral when somebody's speaking and it's pretty obvious there is some uh, revisionist history going on? You ever been there? And I hate that. It makes me angry. It makes me angry to this day when I think about that. And it's one of the things that fuels me to live a life such that when my kids put me in the ground one day, they're not going to worry about that. All right, so, um, so that's point three. So C, then, what happens when people die? This is kind of the big question. It's actually a really simple answer. It's two really simple answers, so I'm not going to make this complicated. So the souls of believers go immediately into God's presence. Yeah, this is... You know, a 101, whatever that's called. <laughs> so, uh, what's that, Puggles? Yeah, Puggles, excellent. We have not covered that. In <laughs> Just throwing that out there, right? Well, you need to get on that. That's awesome. You can give them this definition for death, though. Death is a temporary cessation. This, it's a great Puggle definition of death. Here you go. Death is a temporary cessation of bodily life and a separation of the soul from the body. They'll get that, right? Yeah, smart puggles. Sure. Throw them in the deep water real quick. You're welcome to guest speakers. <laughs> welcome to guest speakers. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So we go back to the verse that, uh, that was read over here, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, uh, and it was to be absent from the body is present, with the, present with the Lord. And it doesn't sound like there's a lot of delay in there, right? No, there's no delay in there. And then Luke 23, 43, a verse that I've already referenced when Jesus turns and looks at the thief on the cross and he says, next week when I get around to it, I'll process your paperwork and you'll make it into heaven. 
right? Aren't, so just think a second. Are you not glad that there's no paperwork involved? <laughs> we don't have to wait for a form to be filed or a pro. I mean, yeah, no governmental red tape. You know, this is just, you know, repentance and faith, and it's taken care of. I, I just, it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing to know. All right, so I'm going to skip the next A, B, C, and D that's not in your notes. Uh, but Grudem asks four questions. Uh, and kind of and gives a, a really clear, succinct response to all of them. I'm going to talk about these four tonight uh, in the evening service. But what does the Bible teach about the doctrine of purgatory? This is not in your notes. Uh, does, the do- does the Bible teach the doctrine of soul sleep? Uh, you might have heard this before from uh, other people. Uh, what is, what did the, about the Old Testament believer? Did they go immediately into God's presence? Or was there some delay? And then point D, should we pray for the dead? Is there any value in that? So we'll talk about those tonight. So then point number two under C is the souls of unbelievers go immediately to eternal punishment. Eternal punishment. So I just covered two and a half pages of notes in 30 seconds. Check there. There's a few of you that follow along with the teacher notes online. That, that website at the bottom, you can pull that up on an iDevice and uh, follow along. And you're probably freaking out because I was only on page three of my notes and had seven today. So don't worry. So the souls of unbelievers go immediately to eternal punishment. So go to Romans 2, 5 through 10. Man, these... But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when His righteous judgment will be revealed. So let's make sure we're all on the same page. So Paul's writing here to the church at Rome, and there's apparently some people in the church of Rome that... Mm-hmm are really not believers. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about storing up God's wrath. So, so you don't have to read very far in the Old Testament to realize what the storing up God's, of God's wrath looks like when it is unleashed. So let's, let's start over and just make sure we have the perspective of God's wrath is kind of boiling and building at this point. Okay? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath and his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Excellent. So the thing I, w- I wanted to point out about this particular passage is that we know that when believers die, they go immediately into God's presence. This verse does not act like there is a difference between the way in which believers and unbelievers in the timing of the result of their End of life. Does this make sense? That was an extremely complicated sentence. Let me choose if I can say it a different way. This verse doesn't make it look like there's a delay for unbelievers. As if there's some, well, there's a work it out period where there's negotiation that takes place. And you can pay or pray or do some other thing to figure out plan C other than heaven or hell. It's, it's heaven or hell. And it's heaven or hell very, very quickly. So... Um, the other thing Grudem points out here is that nowhere in the Bible does God talk about uh, the doctrine of annihilation. 
so this is something that is very common, uh, commonly taught right now is that, so, so yes, God sends somebody to either heaven or to hell, but you only stay in hell for a short period of time, and then at some point, God has mercy and annihilates your soul, and you no longer exist, and your punishment stops. Which sounds really compassionate, right? It's, yeah, it's the only problem. It's just, just a lie. Yeah, it's just wrong. So there's a lot of things that sound really compassionate that are just lies. You're just saying, well, I don't believe in hell. Well, that sounds really compassionate, but it makes God a liar. So that can't be right. You see what I'm saying? There's just all kinds of different things out there that just are just not going to work. So the two options are you go immediately into God's presence or you go immediately to eternal punishment. So that's the, the text of the lesson today. So you are officially dead. So we are officially ready for Easter. Yes, we are ready for resurrection and ready for Easter at this point. So uh, again, I, I was kind of stoked that I got to kill you off before Easter. So this is good. Uh, the questions for personal application this week are really, really good. So I, I, I don't know what mental process he went through to write the different weeks, but he was on his game this week. He was really, really on his game. That's one of the reasons I had so many of them. Uh, so the scripture memory passage for next week is Philippians 1, uh, 20 through 24. Actually, not next week, two weeks from today. So you've got two weeks to study. Two weeks to study these uh, five verses. And then the hymn for today is My Jesus, I Love Thee. Probably one that many of you know, so I'm going to read this one off today. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I'll love thee in life, I will love thee in death, and praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say, when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. In mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with the glittering crown on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. It's an oldie and a goodie. 1864. Justin, I challenge you to do better than that. It's a pretty good one, isn't it? Awesome. Cool. So at the middle of your table is a page that says weekly update at the top. If you will make sure to check your prayer requests, make sure those have been updated on the right. On the ongoing prayer requests, that'd be great. On the left, if you've got any new prayer requests, uh, you, there's a section for just this week and there's a section for ongoing. If you put them in the ongoing, they will show up in that ongoing section in two weeks. Uh, remember, next week is Easter at Coolidge. and Make sure your name is at the bottom of the page. And if you've done that... After you pray as a table, you are dismissed. Thanks for coming to Sunday School today.